Welcome back, Nacio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how the perspective on the truth of our identity changes everything, and how our family identity is secure because of what Jesus did for us. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to the family room. That's what we call this. We like to treat everyone as family. And it's uh, like Christmas time out there or something, right? So whoever's praying for snow, you can just stop now. Like, I think we're good. <laughs> no more praying for snow. But man, we're glad that you're here. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great morning. Um, so we have connect cards. I don't have one with me, but they're uh, back by the info table. And if you want to just fill out your information and drop that in the uh, offering box, we can then contact you if you'd like to stay in the loop of what's going on. We have texting. We have, uh, I don't know if we do so much emails, mostly texting. But if you have any questions about the church, if you need prayer for anything, you can fill out that Connect card. It's just a way for us to stay in contact with you. Also, if you'd like to give, you can give two ways, in the Dropbox by the info table, or you can go to our website at missio.life, and it'll give you some prompts there and direct you in how to give online. Uh, other than that, I think, oh, I'll mention too, we talked about doing baptisms today. We had some scheduling stuff come up. We're trying to get family in town. So we're going to push that back a couple of more weeks. Uh, and so if you're here and you want to talk about baptism, maybe you want to explore that, you want to have a conversation, love to chat with you about baptism. And uh, sometime soon, I think it'll be in a couple of weeks, we're going to have that thing full of water and we're going to celebrate new life in Christ. So if you're interested in that, let me know and we can have a discussion. Otherwise, that's all I've got. So would you please stand as we continue in worship? So perspective is an important thing, isn't it? Perspective is how we see something, how we perceive. And so perspective doesn't necessarily change the reality of what's going on, but it's, it's seeing things from another angle, another viewpoint. I think most of us have probably had an experience at some point in our life where you're talking to somebody who has a differing opinion, uh, differing you know, ideas about things, and they share what, what they think is true, and, they, and you say, man, I never really thought of it that way. Anybody had an experience like that? Yeah, we, yeah it's perspective. We gain perspective. There's an old story uh, about a farmer, and this farmer had his farm, and he had his crops, and he'd grown his farm, and he had some animals, some livestock, and one day one of his horses ran away. So the horse ran away, and his neighbors came over, and they said, man, what bad luck. And the farmer said, perhaps. The next day, the horse came back, and the horse brought three wild horses with it. And the neighbors showed up. They said, wow, you're the luckiest guy around. The farmer said, perhaps. About a week later, the farmer's son is trying to tame one of the wild horses, gets bucked off, and breaks his leg. The neighbors show up again. Oh, what bad luck. Perhaps. And then about another week later, uh, the army recruiters come around and they're coming through the village getting all the young men to take them off to war and they pass over his son because he's got a broken leg. And so you can see how this story, it, it, you know, just the way that you view things matters. And so our perspective can change and the farmer didn't really go one way or the other, he just kind of went with life. And so perspective in life matters. It matters in our relationship with God, the way that we understand 
how he is, his character, his nature, and how the world works. And not only that, but sometimes we get conflicting voices. As we saw in the story of the farmer, the neighbors didn't always give the same advice, right? They were one day they were up, one day they were down. And so we get all kinds of um, people speaking into our lives, telling us what's happening and well, this happened, so God must be upset, or this happened, so God must be pleased. And that's not necessarily true. So our perspective can change, and we can get false information. So we've been in the book of Galatians, and we've been talking about how the churches in Galatia, so Galatia is really modern-day Turkey, and uh, there are multiple churches there that the Apostle Paul had started. He had traveled around, and he had started these churches And then he kind of moved on, and then he would hear about how jacked up the churches were, and so he'd write him a letter, and he'd send it to him. He'd say, hey, you guys need to straighten this out. You need to fix this. And this was what was happening in Galatia. There had been some false teachers that had come in and started to undermine the gospel. They had started to teach a different version of the truth than what these churches had started out with and how Paul had taught them in the beginning. And so they thought, well, in order for God to be pleased with us, we need to keep the law the law of Moses. We need to go back to the law and keep that in order for God to be pleased with us. And and Paul tells them over and over, you can't get right with God through the law. It just isn't going to happen. And so Paul's in essence telling the Galatian Christians, don't lose perspective on the truth. It's better than you think. And we talked about last week, what is the one thing that pleases God? And some of you maybe were here. Does anybody remember what that one thing is? One word starts with an F. Uh Uh-oh. Faith, right? Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so that's very crucial to help us understand the gospel that it's all accessed through faith, not by keeping the law. And we're going to see that again today. And this is a bit of a, uh, we're repeating some of the same theme here, and, but it's cool because we need to be reminded So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians 4 today. Otherwise, uh, grab your Bible app. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. And I'm going to be in the NLT today. So if you want to change that on your Bible app, you can do that. Galatians 4, verse 1. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. That's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were like slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again? to become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of the world. You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work 
with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. And so Paul tells them a lot of things in here. He's, he's, he's reframing their identity. And that's always what Paul does. If you read through the epistles, you'll see that over and over. People go off track and he says, no, 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 this is who you are. This is your identity. He always comes back to identity and corrects it. And he tells them, he said, you're heirs. Well, what in the world does that mean? You're an heir. And so he goes back and he, he kind of uh, uses this example of, of an inheritance. And so think of a young boy who is heir to an estate and he's wealthy and he's got all this stuff coming to him, but he's still a minor. He's not old enough to do anything about it, so he's really not free, right? So he's, he's rich and he's got all this inheritance coming, but he's still under his guardians. He's under trustees. He's under people who give discipline to his life and kind of direct him here and there and tell him what to do. And so Paul uses this, this uh, word, an heir, and, he, and it's, it's important, right? And so he's saying um, there's a future element to this, and I think maybe this will help to understand what I'm saying. Um, before they were... Before they understood the gospel, they knew the law. The law was given to the people of Israel, God's chosen people, so that they could know him. And the law was given to show the people of Israel how sinful they were and how holy God was. God is set apart. Man is is sinful, and there's kind of a problem with that. And God says, you can't just approach me with your sin, and so I'm going to give you the law, and I'm going to show you how to approach me and how to worship me and how to be in relationship with me. And so God gave them the law for that purpose. But even while they had the law, they were looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of Jesus. And so Paul goes through, uh, in Galatians 3, he gives us um, just kind of a, a walkthrough of history, right? He talks about the promise that God made to Abraham. We talked about that last week, that God promised Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you the father of nations, and that all the descendants of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Made that promise with Abraham. Then he talks about Moses, and he says, yeah, Moses has come along, and Moses has the law, and then fast forwards to Jesus, and he says, Jesus fulfilled the promise that I made to Abraham, fulfills the law that I gave to Moses, and so part of this for us is we want to think linear. We want to think through the timeline because we don't have a DeLorean, like we can't, you know, jump in and you just hop around, right? Like things just move forward. That's how time works for us. But God sees everything all at once. God is outside of time and he sees it and he's saying, this is happening. And so before you even knew it, you were an heir to the promise. Before you knew Jesus, you were an heir. So we have to think outside of time a little bit. Galatians 3.8, this was from our text last week. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So Abraham was preaching the gospel. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So if we understand how things work outside of time a little bit, and and Abraham was looking ahead to Jesus, making the sacrificial death on the cross for sin for all time. Ephesians 1 says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we're heirs. Paul's telling the Galatians, hey, you guys are heirs, and we can look back through history, and they were heirs to the promise even before Jesus came. But now what's true of you is that you're an heir. You have an inheritance, and it's pretty great, right? So we get to share in the reward of Jesus because he was and is perfect. Even though we really don't deserve it, we get to be a part of the royal family. And I know sometimes we struggle to understand this as Christians, like what does it mean to be an heir? So imagine that you're getting close to retirement. Maybe some of you here are in that boat. But imagine that you're getting close to retirement and it's just days away and you've got all your ducks in a row and you're ready and you get this phone call out of the blue and it's a financial manager, a trust manager, and he says, hey, uh, hope you're sitting down. I've got some news for you. It actually turns out that, well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is I've got $50 million with your name on it. You have a big inheritance. The bad news is we were supposed to give it to you when you were 18 and we messed up. And so you're like, yay, I'm rich, but wait. And you start replaying the tape of your life back and you say, man, if I could have had that when I was 18, how much differently would I have lived? Because my whole life I've been stressed about money. My whole life I've been thinking about paying bills and the kids need braces and, you know, saving for the vacation and retirement. And, and there's a sense of regret of like, man, how much differently could I have lived? How much more generously would I have lived if I would have known how wealthy I was earlier in life. And I think it's that way with us a little bit in the kingdom, that we're wealthier than we know. We're inheritance. Our inheritance is everything that Jesus inherits. And we don't realize that, and we live as if we're poor. We're li- we live as if we're orphans, and, and the reality is that we're part of the royal family. And so how much different would our perspective be if we truly understood that we're heirs? The Bible says we're joint heirs with Jesus, co-heirs with him. This is brothers and sisters. So understanding our inheritance as God's kids, his heirs, radically changes our perspective. Paul goes on, he talks to the Galatians about being adopted into the family. Verse 4. He says, hey guys, you've been adopted into the family. You used to be in bondage to the law. You used to try to obey the law. And then you were set free, right? And you were adopted into the family. Being part of the family is so much different than being a slave. And he uses that that terminology as well. Slaves are mistreated. Slaves are treated poorly. Uh, They're just there for what they can do, the, the work that they can accomplish. Family is loved, cared for. All the needs met, provided, right? So much better to be adopted into the family than being a slave. And Paul's saying, so why would you want to go back to being a slave? Verse 4 and 5, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So when we're adopted, something happens. When we come to faith In Jesus, something happens. The Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to dwell within us, the Bible tells us. It's one of those mysteries of the faith, like, how does God live in me? I don't quite understand it, but it's true. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. 
And, and it's pretty important because in verse 6 it says, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And so in Hebrew culture, that word Abba meant dad, daddy. It was a, a term of intimacy, right, of closeness. And so as we become believers in Jesus, the spirit comes to live within us, God himself, which again, huge upgrade, right? Who wants to live alone and like so much better to have God with us forever and ever, amen? And so he lives within us and, and the Bible says that he prompts us, God himself prompts us to call out to our father, Abba. Do you have that kind of relationship with God today? Where you cry out Abba or, or is it more of a fearful relationship of like, man, I can't approach God. I gotta have all my stuff together. The spirit reminds us that we get to call out Abba. And for some of us, if you're in this room and you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Your kids start out little and they say mama, dada, you know, and they kind of jumble some words. Or it, and then pretty soon it's mommy and daddy. And then they get a little bit older and they transition to that phase of mom and dad. And you're like, ah. Oh. And as a parent, you kind of feel that. You're like, dang, my kids are growing up a little bit. And then if you get a, a you know, a real, some of your, your kids have done this and mine have done this. They start calling you by your first name. It's like, what is that about? Hey, Josh, come here. I'm like, who's that? And so kids do this because they want to become more independent. They want to grow up, right? And they're transitioning. And so there's obviously some parallels between being a parent and our relationship with God as father. But there's also a difference. Because as believers, we never move beyond that phase of calling him dad. Daddy, I need you. We never become independent of God, do we? As believers, I don't care how many years you've been walking with God, we still have that intimacy. We still have that kind of relationship. And God himself, the Holy Spirit, prompts us from within to say, you can come to me that way, in intimacy, and in honesty. That's the kind of relationship I want with you. And so being a part of God's family has some pretty important implications for us. As adopted children, we enjoy the same favor of God that Jesus himself experiences. That's, that's pretty mind-blowing. We're the apple of his eye. We're his pleasure. The Bible says he rejoices over you with singing. God loves you. He's crazy about you. And, and some of us just don't believe that. Yeah, he loves everybody else, but man, I'm pretty jacked up. I don't, I don't think he loves me. The truth is he does. But it's not because of what you've done. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. God said to Jesus, you are my child whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. And because of Jesus' righteousness applied to us, God says the same thing as our Father. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. Because of your what? Your faith. Because you trust in Jesus. And that's enough. And I'm willing to bet that in this room, we probably have some people who didn't have great experiences with their earthly fathers. There have probably been some fathers who have checked out, who have just been um, absent or maybe unloving or harsh or maybe even abusive. And there are a lot of us who carry wounds, carry hurts from the things that happened with our earthly fathers. And we maybe didn't get what we wanted or what we needed from our earthly fathers. But God, our Father, is the perfect heavenly Father. He always does what's best for us. 
always acts with our best interests in mind. He loves us perfectly. He loved us enough to send his son to die for our sins so that we could have that kind of relationship to cry out, Abba. And so our adoption into God's family is pretty great. And God is our father, the one that we've always wanted, the one that we've always needed. And our adoption into the family means that our sins are forgiven, we're righteous before God. It means that we get to spend eternity in the presence of God and Jesus. Like, that's awesome. But we also get to enjoy it now. We get to enjoy the grace and the love of God now. It's, the kingdom is here. We don't have to wait for heaven. Our inheritance is now. So let's go on to verse 8. Paul tells his readers that they're basically wasting grace. So I want to read 8 through 12 again. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear you, fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So Paul says, you used to be slaves. Don't go back to it. You used to be under the law. And by the way, the law is unkeepable. No one could keep it. Right? And he said, so why do you want to go back to that? What benefit is there to go back to the law? See, Paul had been under the law. He was a Pharisee. And he had been rescued from that. Jesus had opened his eyes to understand grace. And Paul wanted to make sure that the Galatians didn't go back into slavery, into bondage under being in the law. And that's what they're talking about, the seasons and the years. And they're trying to keep the the law that God gave to Moses. He says it doesn't get you any favor with God. Doing good works does not please God. Faith is what pleases him. Living in grace So they started out with grace, but had a hard time continuing in it. And I'm willing to bet that for some of us, we resonate with that. It's easy to start out in grace. Thanks, Jesus. Like, you got me. You saved me. But then as time goes on, well, I need to do some more things, and I don't quite measure up, and I sinned over here, and I I failed over there, and I made some mistakes and so we have this sense of like, well, I got I to gotta do more to, to be a son or a daughter. And, and the truth of the gospel is you can't. You can't do anymore. You've been accepted because of what Jesus has done for you. You're adopted into the family. You're a son or a daughter with an inheritance. That's not going to change. So we can live free. We don't have to go back to bondage. That's what Paul's saying. Many of you know that as a church, we partner with Toys for Tots. Yeah, and it's been a great partnership. We have a huge warehouse back here, by the way, and tons of toys. And so uh, Toys for Tots gathers up toys, they drop them off in the warehouse, and then nonprofits will come in and distribute toys to people in need. And so we're kind of the middle, the hub of that activity. And we, many of you helped wrap presents this year for Myrie Elementary. That was pretty awesome. We got to bless all the kiddos over there, the families, and um, but one of the benefits of being a partner with Toys for Tots is that um, we've built some trust. We've built a relationship. 
And so they've given us freedom and flexibility to help people out. They say, have you ever just come across someone who needs some toys for their kids? Hey, have at it. And so this Christmas season, we had the opportunity to help a number of families. And I tell you, that just brings me such joy. And so we walked back there. There was this one woman who came in, and we walked back, and she's just blown away. I mean, because if you've seen it, it's just, you know, floor-to-ceiling toys on racks, like crazy amount of toys. And so we start shopping, and I'm like, how about this? How about this? And I could tell she's struggling. She's like, yeah, I don't think I can do that. And how much do I owe you? I'm like, no, no, it's free. Like all of this stuff, somebody's bought this and donated it for you. All you have to do is receive it. Like, let's pick out some cool stuff for your kids. And so we start walking around, and then I take her back to, like, the secret spot where we've got all the Kindle fires and the hoverboards and, like, the, the bigger ticket items. And I'm like, how about some of this stuff? And she's like, oh, I just can't. And after a while, she finally, you know, loosened up and, and, and got some toys for her kids, and it was awesome. But it reminded me how hard it is for us as human beings, as people, to receive Grace, what a picture of the kingdom, right? God says, I, I, I paid the price. Like, Jesus did all that for you. All you have to do is receive it. It's a free gift. God says, come to the warehouse. Come receive the gifts that I have for you, and, and you can't pay for it. In fact, it's kind of insulting if you want to pay for it. Just receive it, and, and that's a picture of the gospel. God says, I want you to be adopted into my family. I'm going to give you an estate, right? I'm making you an heir of the kingdom. You're in the royal family. You're adopted in, and you can't do anything to pay for it. You just receive it. For many of us, we're we're just kind of sitting at the door of the warehouse going, I I think I got to pay for this stuff. It's like, no, it's a gift. It's free. So we can't complicate it. We can't pay for it. We can't do good things to pay God back for it. So Paul went on, he went, he went on to great lengths to help the Galatians understand grace. And, he, he, and as you've noticed throughout this series, we've kind of repeated the same theme a number of weeks. They needed to hear it a lot. We need to hear it a lot. I don't get grace the first time I hear it. I need to be reminded because we always want to drift back to earning. We always want to drift back to doing. Well, God, I'm going to do some things because grace is just too good. It's too free. It's too easy. So the Galatians had lost perspective. They had listened to some wrong voices. They had listened to the false teachers. And they were drifting back into legalism. And Paul says, don't go there. Why would you go back? Why would you want to become enslaved to the law? Walk in grace. Experience freedom. You're adopted into the family. Right? You have authority and privilege. Some of you know the name uh, John Wesley. He was the son of a preacher in England, and he helped found the Wesleyan denomination, so John Wesley's a historical figure. But I, I came across this story, and it was really interesting, and what I found out was that John Wesley and his friends started something in England called the Holy Club. Ooh, the Holy Club, sign me up for that, right? <laughs> a little bit of an arrogance about it. So they're in the Holy Club. And they did, they did good things. So they went around town and they, they went to the prison. They visited prisoners and they talked about Jesus. And they went to like the, the poor parts of town, the slums, and they found kids who were orphans. And they gave them clothes and they gave them food and they raised money and, and gave to the poor. And so they did all of these things, so, such great things. 
And they were very devout. They fasted and they prayed and they read Scripture together and they, they um, didn't do anything on Saturday. They observed the Sabbath and then on Sunday they would worship and again do nothing. So they had two days, they just kind of shut down. And these were all parts of being in the holy club, right? So this was, this was his life. But Wesley said that him and his companions were bound in the chains of their own righteousness. They were bound and they were not fully trusting Christ. And years later, I want to read what he said. He said in his journal, came to trust in Christ, in Christ only for salvation. And he said, I, then, I had then the faith of a slave and not of a son. I had the faith of a slave because I was in bondage to the law. I did not have the experience of the freedom of being a son. So maybe you resonate a little bit with that, that you've done a lot of religious activities, you know a lot of the right things, but you haven't really experienced what it means to be a son or a daughter in the family. You don't know what it means to be an heir of the estate. And you're living in law, living in in bondage and slavery, hoping that it'll be enough, hoping that God will be pleased with you, hoping that uh, everything that you can do will measure up somehow. God says, no, just receive the gift of grace. Receive what Jesus did for you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't pay me back. So much better. And that's what Paul was trying to help the Galatians understand. And that's what we need to understand. The hard work has been done. The good news, the gospel for us is that we can't add to it. Jesus did it for us. So maybe you're here today and you... You don't really know what this, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to trust Christ for salvation? And if you're not really sure if you're in the family, if you know him by faith, I'd love to have a conversation with you. We can talk about that. And it, it, it's very simple. We can have a conversation after the service and I would love to chat with you. But if you're here today and maybe uh, you've been walking with Jesus for a while and you've maybe lost some perspective and you've drifted away from grace back into earning, It's sneaky. It happens. We say, well, I gotta, I gotta do some things for God and man, just rest and let go of any legalism in your life and rest in the grace of Jesus. It's better than you think. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for grace and for the good news of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you that you have done the hard work for us and that you have made a way for us to have a relationship with you and it's by faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And so Lord, we give you thanks, we worship you for who you are. Forgive us for trying to earn your favor, trying to earn our own righteousness before you. Let us receive it and walk in it daily, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to have communion this morning, and um, hopefully, I think we had some baskets. Are there baskets back there with communion? Did we hand out communion? What? So nobody's got communion? Oh, this is special. Somebody grab those baskets real quick. So we're going to take communion together this morning, and the band's going to play a song. We'll get those handed out momentarily.
And so Jesus was with his disciples, and he, before he went to the cross, he said, he took some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Right? We talk about grace. We talk about forgiveness. He said, this is my body broken for you. So when you eat it, you eat it in remembrance of me. And it cost him a high price. His body was broken, whipped, pierced to a cross. And then he took the cup and he, and he prayed and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is a symbol of my blood being shed for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so this morning as the band plays the song and as we just take a moment to reflect on what it cost the Father to send Jesus, and what it cost Jesus to lay down his life for you so that we could receive the free gift of salvation. We're going to remember that together as we take of these elements and we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. So you can just take them at your own pace. You don't have to wait for the group. You can just spend some time in prayer with the Lord and then um, take the communion. So... Josh left us with a few takeaways from the service. Heirs. Paul uses the analogy of being an heir. Something is coming in the future, but not knowing it right away. He is referring to God having good things in store for his people, and that it is coming. We get to share in the reward of Jesus because he was perfect and he is perfect. Even though we don't really deserve it, we get to be in the royal family. Understanding our inheritance as God's kids, his heirs radically changes our perspective. We need to understand our inheritance as God's kids. His heirs radically change our perspective. Adopted into the family. As adopted children, we can enjoy the same favor Jesus has with the Father. A waste of grace. Galatians started in grace, but had a hard time continuing in grace. The Galatians had lost perspective, started to believe in the wrong voices, and drifted into lies about needing to keep the law instead of trusting in the grace of God through faith. Thanks again for listening, Missio family. We'll see you next week.